0: Today, Craig will preach from Exodus chapter 8 through chapter 10. I'll be reading a portion of that from Exodus chapter 9, verse 13 through verse 35. Please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you, yourself, and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, About this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have into the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continuously in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord." The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants." So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. This is the word of God. You may be seated.
1: Hey, everybody. My name is Craig. I'm glad to be opening God's word with you again this morning, continuing through Exodus. um, I've just thoroughly enjoyed this. Before we get any farther, two things real quick. One, um, Pat just told me that there's some sort of a natural gas smell that some of you guys may be smelling. That is actually normal it 's when the HVAC kicks on, so no need to be alarmed. Um, second thing I want to say is a big thank you to everyone who helped out with the men 's retreat that was a, That was a really sweet time. I was able to able to be there for part of it i 'm um, pretty sure it was our third retreat. Is it our third is that right third yeah i 'm grateful for those times there's really from beginning to end it 's a great time. I hope those of you who are um, part of this church will the men in this church will consider coming to the next one, but um, a lot of good things about it A S- couple things that stuck out to me this time One, I, I always appreciate the conversations I'm able to have with the guys um, Some more extended time, not rushed to get to know them a little bit better and talk about uh, about different things I wish I could do that with everybody, but it's nice to get a little time with some, some guys And the other thing was um, the singing uh, I'll just tell you right now, there's not going to be a Men of Christ Community live album coming out after the retreat. That's just not, that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about the singing, not the quality. It's, it's not bad. I heard some harmony in there. Um, but what I mean is, um, it's so encouraging to my heart to hear uh, the Men of Christ Community together confessing truths together in song. So one of the songs that we sang was the song Build My Life. It's something that we sing around here every once in a while. Um, And there's a line in the song that says, um, you, you guys might know it. It goes, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. Now picture the whole room singing that, all the men together. And we're confessing that, right? And it's so encouraging for me to hear the guys on my right and my left and front and behind all confessing the same thing, confessing the same Lord that, yeah, I'm going to, we are going to, I am, and together collectively, we're going to build our life upon the Lord. He is a firm foundation for us. I'll put my trust in you alone. I will not be shaken. That's always a sweet encouragement to me. I think it fits with our sermon this morning um, because uh, one of the reasons I was thinking about it was uh, Darcy, my wife, and I were talking about Psalm 96 yesterday. Um, If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. So Psalm 96, we're going to start there today, because I think it's really fitting to kind of bring a link between singing, the greatness of God, and the passage that we're going to look at here. I know it's a long passage, 8 through 10, but there's a link that I want to draw out right at the beginning. So we're actually looking at Psalm 96. Don't mean to throw you all off. Here we go. Psalm 96, starting at verse 1, and it's a song about music. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. So Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Kind of put on your Exodus lens as we're reading this. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. So God, at this point in Exodus, what we just read um, there in chapter 9, is giving us reasons through these plagues, through these wonders, to sing like that. To sing, you're worthy of every song I could ever sing. Like that song that we sung at the retreat. You're worthy of everything that I would ever bring. We live for you. He's declaring to the world, through the plagues, the wonders of Exodus, that his greatness is unmatched. There's no one like him. And so, in chapters 8 through 10, we're going to be looking at a big piece of scripture. So I'm trying to bring it, distill down three key things that I want to emphasize to you. We're going to highlight three ways God is supreme. God is First, supreme over other gods. Second, God is supreme over all creation. And third, God is supreme over our hearts. Before we dive in, I, I just want us to grab hold of something really important. It's, now we're going to go back to Exodus. I want to bring your, your attention back there, back to Exodus chapter 9 and verse 14. So go ahead and look at that. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 14. It says this, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. This is God speaking through Moses. I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. God says that to Pharaoh. It's judgment on his and his people's rejection of God and the mistreatment of God's people, but it's also here for us. It's recorded for you. For me today, that we may know that there is none like him in all the earth. God displays his supremacy over all gods, other gods, over all creation, over our heart, over all things. I'm just tying in Psalm 96 and also all the Bible here. God shows himself supreme that he would receive glory as the supreme being in all the universe and that we would be supremely happy in him. I'm going to say that again. God is displaying his glory, his might, his power, his supremacy over all of creation and over all of humanity and over all other gods, over all things. He's showing himself as the supreme being in all the universe. That we would be supremely happy in him. That's what I'm working for today. I'm working for your joy in the supremacy of God. And I gotta tell you, as I prepared this sermon, I was in that other room, up until the moment I walked up here, it is, I have been wrestling with this because it is so precious, it is so powerful, it is so real, and it is so massive and important, and I, there's a part of me that just wants to do it right, but what we need is we need the supreme one to speak to us, and so we're going to pause, and we're going to pray, and we're going to trust that that's going to happen, that we're going to kind of experience what we talked about last week, and we were talking about knowing God, where J.I. Packer said, knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill the heart. That's what I want to have happen today that we'd be thrilled in the greatness of God this morning. We need his help. Let's pray. Lord, there is truly none like you, and so we just pray that you'd come and show us your glory, that you would kill our pride, our arrogance, that you'd humble us, that you'd lift high your name, you'd captivate us again this morning with your steadfast love. We need eyes to see. We need a heart to feel. We need ears to understand, minds to comprehend. We want to know more. We want to know you more. And that's what we're asking for. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, chapters 8 through 10. This is covering plagues. So there's there's 10 total plagues in the account in Exodus, of Exodus. We're looking at plagues 2 through 9. Last week we did plague number 1. God's using it to display his glory, to judge Egypt, to set the captives free. Question, why not just skip to plague number 10, which seems to... You know, get the job done. Why do plagues one through nine? Going right back to it. God is making himself known. He's showing himself as supreme. The first nine plagues are meant to be seen as divided into three sets of three. So ten, the tenth plague, Passover, that stands alone. We're going to deal with that next week. That's the climax, the end of the, uh, the end of this. But in those first nine, we see a series of patterns. I'm not going to give you all of them, but let me just give you some examples. If you look at plagues one, two, and three, you'll see that Moses, excuse me, in the first plague, this is verse, this is chapter seven, verse fifteen, he confronts Pharaoh outside. Then in plague number two, that's verse eight, chapter eight, verse one, Moses confronts Pharaoh in his court. And then the third plague, there's no confrontation. That's chapter 8, verse 16. So it's outside, in the court, no confrontation. That's plagues 1, 2, and 3. That's what we see again, that same pattern in 4, 5, and 6. And then we see that same pattern again in 7, 8, and 9. Here's another example. In 1, 2, and 3, it's the staff of Aaron that does it. In 4, 5, and 6, no staff. 7, 8, and 9, Moses' staff. What are we looking at? It's a tapestry. God's weaving something together. and Through plagues 1 through 9, he's, he's weaving together that Pharaoh, Egypt, Israel, the world would know that he is God. That's what he's doing. I am God, there is no other. And there are different responses to that. Pharaoh responds one way, Israel is another. There's different responses to that God's supremacy now. And so, again, my plea to you, as we're looking at the, at, the, at the plagues here in Exodus, and this is really a plea to myself, too. It's weird when you're preaching and you feel like, man, I need this, too. And it's, like, coming out of my mouth, but I also want to listen to it. That you would embrace this. You would embrace the supremacy of God over all things. Okay, first, God the Lord is supreme over other gods. We talked about this last week. We talked about how the Nile River was worshipped as a god. By turning the Nile River to blood, God showed which god was supreme. Remember the power encounter, the cage match. God was showing he was number one. But it wasn't only that god. Egypt had a lot of gods. There was the frog-headed god. And God sent a corresponding infestation of frogs, right? That's plague number two. There were the bull gods, God killed their livestock. There were the sky gods. God sent hail, and he caused wind to blow locusts onto the people. There was the sun god, and God blackened the sky for days. The Lord is putting to shame all these gods, and he's showing them who truly is God. To put anything above God, a person, a god, a pursuit anything above the Lord is what the Bible calls idolatry. God hates it. God hates idolatry. Psalm 96, which I read earlier, gives us a little insight into why God hates this. Do you remember the last line that we read? It was verse 5. If you want to go back there, you can. I'll just reread it for you though. Psalm 96 verse 5 says, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens Idols, the ones that the Egyptians worship here in Exodus, were made by human hands, actually made by human hands, statues. But when you make gods that way, the reason that God hates them so much is it gives the impression that God himself and those little gods that they make with hands are under our control. When you make God the way you want him to be, You control him, but he's not God anymore. God says, you can't do that. Humans make statues. God, the true God, makes the heavens. That's what Psalm 96 says. We cannot control him. Idols distort the nature of God. That's the first thing that idols do. Idols also distort us, all of us worship. You guys probably realize that. Maybe you haven't heard that before. That's okay, but you do. We all do. We all worship something. It's what we're designed to do. We're, be, we're designed to behold something and to love something as supreme. And it can be many things. It's not just a, a particular statue like we're talking about here or another god. It can be approval, comfort, control, power. But the, the key is this. Worshippers, which would be all of us, become like that which they worship. The Bible says, if we worship idols, we become like them. Those idols, those dead pieces of wood that were fashioned into something else, we become dead or stone like them. We become, I heard somebody say this, we become what we behold. So, What God is doing today, he is declaring his supremacy over whatever it is that we put in front of him. God is showing that he is greater than, like what Tim Keller says, he said, God is greater than anything more important to you than he is. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, to give you what only God can give. Let me help you do a little bit of Holy Spirit heart-searching right now Um, to make it a little practical. Generally speaking, theologians categorize four core desires as the reasons we set up idols in our lives. And here's the thing. Um, Calvin said, the ancient theologian, he said that our hearts are uh, idol factories. We produce idols all the time because of our nature to be worshipers. A lot of times we're worshiping the wrong thing. And they generally fall into four categories. One, the desire for control. Two, the desire for power. Three, the desire for approval. And then four, the desire for comfort. Let's just take one of those. Let me just try to give you an example. The desire for approval. Here's the thing. We probably don't knowingly worship or devote ourselves to the desire for approval, but slowly and surely, those desires can overtake our lives the, for approval of others, or even the approval that we might have of ourselves, and it overtakes loving God. Now, when that when that desire overtakes us, it becomes our master, and it controls everything that we do. So, when it comes to work, or school, or relationships, if our highest desire, our idol, is the approval of others and not honoring God, then we will do whatever it takes to appease or please or impress others because we're desiring that approval. When people are happy with you, then you're at the top. You're feeling great. You're feeling good. But when people are upset with you, you are down, really down, depressed. Why is that? Because it's your master. Because it's your God. And if your master is, man must approve of you, then it puts a chain around your neck and drags you around. You're a slave. And what's worse, we can start to believe that God, the true God, operates in the same way, that we have to earn his favor. And he doesn't. He doesn't operate that way. But what if God is in the primary place instead of the approval of man? If someone's happy with you, you're thankful for it. You're thankful that God allowed that to, to you in your life. And if someone is upset with you, it doesn't floor you. You know that your approval is found by faith in Jesus Christ. You're, you're, you're approved by God in Christ. Your life, what that means is you, you live your life with much more ballast, like a, like a ship in the, the waters. You're much more balanced as the storms of life shake you. Our, our men's retreat speaker mentioned... Um, Augustine's characterization of idolatry. I was actually planning on sharing it today. He called it disordered loves. That's what Augustine calls it. I think it's an important, good way to characterize idolatry. It's not like people don't want to love God or know God or follow God. What inevitably ends up happening for a lot of us as Christians is our loves are out of order. They're disordered. The love of approval of man, power, control, comfort, takes the highest place, and then becomes our master. God slides down the line. Living life with any other master other than God is frustrating, anxiety-producing, and ultimately leads to death. Idols promise and deliver. I think that's really important. They deliver a quick feeling of whatever it is that you're after, the approval, the comfort, the control. But in the long run, you do what the Egyptians do when the Nile failed them. You're scratching at the ground looking for life. God will not share his glory with any other. He is supreme. And us knowing him as supreme, greater than every other God, results in him being glorified and it results in our supreme gladness. We are made for him. So that's the first one. God is supreme over other gods. Here's the second way we see God is supreme. He is supreme over creation. We're just gonna list, I'm just going to list out all the different plagues, and I want you to kind of pay attention to what God is showing his supremacy over, what he does, okay? First, river to blood. Number two, frog invasion. Three, gnats everywhere. The little bug gnats, you know what I'm talking about? Four, flies everywhere. Five, animal diseases 6 boils all over every living thing 7 hail 8 locusts 9 complete darkness okay Johnny connections there think about this the waters they turned to blood frogs came from them the waters are under his control the land, gnats, flies, animals, people, that is also under his control. So we got the water, we got the land, and then the sky. It's hail, wind to blow the locusts, and then the sun that goes dark. Like a, I was thinking about how sometimes you throw a blanket over a flashlight. Just gone. And with each one of these, water, land, sky, what God is declaring is that he is the Lord. At that time, people viewed gods as territorial, that they were confined to a particular location. Whatever deity a particular people worshipped, that was the deity that governed over their land. What God is demonstrating is that he is supreme over everything, over all peoples, over all lands, over all waters, over all skies, over all things. He is God over supreme over all of creation. You know, just to kind of like highlight how in control he is. God even chose precise beginnings and endings. He threw Pharaoh a bone. Hey, Moses said to Pharaoh, hey, you tell me when you want the frogs to go away. You want the frogs to tell me to stop? To, to stop? Tell me when. Moses said, tomorrow. Moses said, done deal. And it happened. He turns It off and on according to his will. And to show also how in control over creation he was, the Lord made a distinction, a separation between his people and other people, starting with the fourth plague. And we see it highlighted a couple times, but really, starting in the fourth plague, God makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Go ahead and look with me. This is chapter 8. So this is chapter 8, starting at verse 22. We'll return to this idea later on. Exodus chapter 8, verse 22 But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land, throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. When I put my little two-year-old girl to bed, her name's Gretel, when I put her to bed, I like to sing with her. And my, one of my go-to songs is, uh, he's got the whole world in his hands. You know that song? A lot of you guys know that song. Her favorite is, uh, he's got the itty-bitty babies. You know, she loves that part. That song is a theological masterpiece, according to our text today. He's got the whole world in his hands. God is in complete sovereign control over all nature. Think about it right now. Right now. The deepest parts of the ocean, he knows exactly what's going on there, and he is in control over it. Galaxies, billions of light years away, he knows he's in control. The cellular structures in your body, he is in control all of it total cosmic power under his sovereign control what we see on earth is a whisper of his power and though he is galactically infinite he makes a distinction a division a loving preservation of his people that's me and you He chooses us to be in a place of safety for all eternity. That's what he's done for us. Think about this. Our God made our world. We broke it through our sin. And he entered our broken world as creator through the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? To remake the world... As he intended it. Our Maker came to what he made to be unmade so that all who trust in him will be remade. Wow. So, what do you fear? What do you fear that's ahead for you? What is heavy on your heart? What, it, what are you stressed out about or anxious about? Let this truth flood into your soul that God is supreme over all creation. Let it bring peace to you and assurance to you. He's got the whole world, our lives, and our eternity in his hands. God is supreme over all other gods. God is supreme over all of creation. And here's the third one. The Lord, our God, is supreme over humanity. This is the one that is most precious to me and most deep. We will not be able to cover all that that this text has for us in terms of God's supremacy over humanity, over our hearts. One of the key questions that hovers over Exodus, though, is the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. I think we all recognize that. If you've been tracking through Exodus, you read about Pharaoh's heart. And the question behind that really is this. Is God supreme over our hearts? What does that actually mean? Look with me at chapter 9, verse 34. We're going to read chapter 9, verse 34, through chapter 10, verse 1. We're going to see something. We're going to talk about it. And like I said, I'm not going to be able to answer every question today. But I hope that you walk away from this rejoicing. It's my hope. Oh Lord, please. Chapter nine, verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. Who hardened the heart? Pharaoh hardened the heart. He and his servants, verse 35. So the heart of Pharaoh was har- the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Now chapter 10, verse 1, we're going to continue. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. Eighteen times in Exodus, we read of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart being unresponsive to God. And so here's the question, who... Did it sometimes it's like chapter nine verse 34 Pharaoh hardened his heart sometimes it's like chapter nine verse 35 Pharaoh's heart was hardened and sometimes it's like chapter 10 verse one God hardened Pharaoh's heart okay so I have heard some of the, some the some theologians argue that um, God hardens Pharaoh's heart in response to Pharaoh's hardening of his own heart. I am not convinced. Before Moses ever went into Pharaoh, God said this. So now I'm going to take you all the way back to chapter 4, verse 21. God says this in chapter 4, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, now remember, this is before Moses ever encountered Pharaoh. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the peoples go. I agree with the theologian that said this, behind the self-hardening and behind the being hardened of Pharaoh is the plan and purpose of God. What is God's purpose? God is speaking through Moses to Pharaoh in the chapter that we read today, chapter 9, verse 16. God is speaking through Moses to Pharaoh and says this, chapter 9, verse 16, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Just a brief word about that. I've heard these plagues called missionary plagues. God could have quickly wiped out Egypt, but he had other purposes. These plagues had a missionary intent. The name of the Lord would be proclaimed in all the earth. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul grabs hold of these two very important ideas. The sovereignty of God over humanity, his supremacy over our hearts, and his missionary purposes to display his glory globally. And he puts them together in Romans chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, I want you to look at it with me. I'm sorry that I didn't get the slides up there. I really wish I had it. Romans chapter 9, verse 15. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. Paul the Apostle actually quotes our passage today from Exodus chapter 9 in this section of Scripture. So this is Romans. We're talking about Exodus chapter 9 and Romans chapter 9. I know it's confusing. This is Romans chapter 9, verse 15 and following. For God says, for he says, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's not in our passage, that's later on in Exodus. Verse 16. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. I want to draw you back to something that we read earlier from Exodus chapter 8. There was the distinction, the division that God made between Israel and Egypt for some of those plagues. Let me ask you a question about that. Why did God choose them? Why did God choose Israel? Was it because Israel was more holy and righteous and good? Were they better people? Did they have better potential? And what about Pharaoh? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why did that happen? Here's Paul's point in the answer to those questions. Salvation does not depend on human desire and effort. Nor does it depend on our goodness or the fact that we're better people. Humanity, our hearts do not choose to pursue God. God pursues us that He would be glorified among all nations. It is His sovereign grace at work in our lives from first to last. And this doctrine, this doctrine of God is referred to as the doctrine of the sovereignty of God or sometimes the doctrine of predestination or election. And these are hard doctrines. We have to admit that. That's what Paul's addressing in all of Romans chapter 9, a topic we can't speak to every question to this morning. But what I want you to see this morning and rejoice in is that God is supreme over our hearts. And that is marvelously good news. Here's why. Here's why I rejoice this morning. Here's what the Bible says about me in Ephesians chapter 2. But you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. My sin left me dead. Ephesians 4 says... That because I had a hard heart, that's the word used there. Because I had a hard heart, all of us had hard hearts. Because I had a hard heart, my thinking was futile. My understanding was darkened. I was ignorant. I was alienated from life in God, from true life. My heart was hard like Pharaoh. I could not overcome that. There was nothing that I could do to earn that or make my way back to God. There was nothing that I could do. Romans 5 says that I was an enemy of God, and I was. We are all, by nature, born that way. We are born under the curse of Adam. Everything in life is futile unless God breaks in. You know what Exodus shows us? He can and he does. He breaks into our hard hearts and changes them. I heard heard one pastor say it this way. It's not like we're all clamoring to get to God. We are running with all of our might toward hell. And God graciously reaches out his hand and he pulls us back through Christ. I remember learning about this. In Scott and Unchong's living room, Scott was leading a Bible study through Romans. And it just lit my heart on fire. Here's why it's so precious to me. I know that if I didn't open my heart to him, I know that I couldn't have opened my heart to him unless he had opened my heart to him. He saved me. God saved me. And I'm going to add this, it is this doctrine, this idea of the sovereignty of God, this supremacy over the hearts of man that has launched my life. It is what's given me the great hope to go and proclaim the gospel on campus when I was a student here and to take the gospel to China and to open his word with you this morning because I know it doesn't depend just on my feeble human efforts, but it depends on the might and the power of a cosmically awesome God who opens hearts to the glory of the gospel. Here's what's amazing. God in his supremacy and complete authority, his total sovereignty, has invited us into his plans and purposes. Just like he used the people of Exodus to be part of his sovereign plans of glorifying him globally, he has invited us into that great sovereign work and he has chosen to work through, he has chosen and his sovereignty control over all things to work through the prayers of his people and the power of the proclaimed gospel. Here's what this means. This means that there is no one, no one in your life, no one that you know, no one in this room, no one in this world that is beyond turning to the Lord. No one, because he is supreme over their hearts. Here's what it also means. It means that your prayers, if he's sovereign and supreme like he he says he is, and he is. It means that your prayers are so powerful. You have the ear of the sovereign one of all creation who controls the hearts of men and women. You know what it means? It means that the gospel, when you proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that those who believe in him will not perish but inherit eternal life, when you proclaim that, it is the power of God for salvation. It actually saves people. It actually changes hearts for eternity. So when you open your mouth, he chooses to work through our mouths, just like Moses' mouth, our uncircumcised mouths, He works through them to save people. You know what it means? It means that he is supreme over your heart, over your sin struggles, over your loves. No sin has dominion over you. It does not. He reigns. I pray, I pray that that ignites your heart with praise and I pray that it ignites you to be a bold and fearless and confident prayer and gospel, proclaim her. He is sovereign. He is at work. He will be glorified. So just wrapping it up, he is supreme. He is supreme over all gods, over all creation, over all humanity. And, he, and our delight in his greatness is what we were designed to do. We have to embrace this. We need to believe this, and we need to know that he is supreme. To become a Christian is to really acknowledge the reality that God is God. He does it for his own glory. He is God, and He will be proclaimed. Um, it's not about praising ourselves. It's not about us, it truly is about him and that is really the best news you will ever hear. It's not about you and it doesn't have to be. It, the world doesn't, dev, doesn't revolve around you, it depends on God who has mercy. God is working all the things of Exodus for his glory and for his people's good. He is supreme. He's a big God. God to be feared and worshiped and adored. He is a God who has made himself known. He's a God who came after us, after our hearts, not because of anything we've done, but in his great love. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all who look on him will be his forever. And that, that's something to sing about. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that more than anything else today, we would we just bend our knees before you and we just cry out to you that you truly are supreme. You are holy, you are righteous, you are good. You are supreme over all things, over all gods, over all creation, over our hearts. And we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.